0: Africa rise and shine. Africa
1: source Africa Amuka Na unai.
2: Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa rise and shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band 2 South in Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu, in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabisolo Hoko, and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, Lake Malawi dispute talks resume in South Africa, South Africa's public protector faces fierce criticism, and Madonna opens paediatric surgery centre in Malawi. In economics news, Nigeria abandons plans to borrow more money to fund its budget, and in sports news, World Athletics Championships get underway in Kenya. But first up the news with Amanda Machaka.
3: Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. Zimbabwe's former finance minister Ngosana Moyo says agreeing to a coalition government before elections is depriving voters the right to express their will. There are talks of opposition parties forming a coalition movement to oust the ruling ZANU-PF. Moyo confirmed that he would be contesting the 2018 presidential election.
4: Structuring a coalition ahead of an election, in my humble opinion, is like rigging the election and depriving citizens of their choice. So my view is that let us, those who want to contest, sell their ideas to the population. Let the population decide who is offering the thing that they want. And only if there is no outright decision should we begin to compare who is closest in terms of programs on offer.
3: The Institute for Security Studies in South Africa says rival political factions fighting for power appeared to be behind a recent spate of break-ins and fires at key government institutions. Institute spokesperson J.K. Cilius says South Africa is facing becoming a shadow state following criminal acts at public institutions and revelations of state capture. He says politically motivated appointments are undermining the Hawks, Police and the National Prosecuting Authority. Cilius says it is worrying that the Hawks are not investigating allegations of state capture after a mountain of evidence about these emerged recently. He says uh, the inaction is clear evidence of collusion by the state. A group of far-right activists has hired a large vessel to patrol the Mediterranean and prevent would-be migrants from reaching Europe. The Defend Europe Vigilante scheme was announced by anti-immigration campaigners from France, Italy and Germany in Rome. Organizer Clement Gallen says they plan to expose the true face of humanitarian organizations and their collaboration with smuggling mafias. Gallen says they'll call the Libyan Coast Guard when they encounter migrant boats. The UN says more than hundred thousand Africans have arrived in Europe by sea this year. Donald Trump Jr. says he did not tell his father about a meeting last year with a Russian lawyer who was apparently offering to help the Trump election campaign. In a television interview, he described the meeting as just nothing.
5: In retrospect, I probably would have done things a little differently. Again, this is before the Russia mania. This is before they were building it up in the press. For me, this was opposition research. They had something, you know, maybe concrete evidence to all the stories I'd been hearing about, but they were probably underreported for, you know, years, not just during the campaign. So I think I wanted to hear it out. But really, it, it went nowhere, and it was apparent that that wasn't what the meeting was actually about.
3: And finally, Madonna has been held as a symbol of a motherly spirit by Malawi president Peter Mutarika after the U.S. singer opened a children's hospital named after her adopted daughter, Mercy James. The Mr. James Institute for Pediatric Surgery and Intensive Care located in Plantaya, Malawi's second largest city, is the first such facility built in the country by Madonna's charity, Raising Malawi. At the hospital's official opening on Tuesday, Madonna said they will ensure that not only will it be be a world-class children's hospital, but also a superior centre of learning. Channel Africa News.
2: Thank you, Amanda. 7.05 Central African Time. And you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg on this Wednesday, July the 12th, the 193rd day of 2017, with 172 days left in the year. In our top story, Malawi and its northern neighbour, Tanzania, have revived talks to resolve a long-running border dispute. The talks took place in South Africa yesterday, and details have with what has been discussed remain sketchy. But Malawi maintained before the meeting... They will not let an inch of the lake go to Tanzania. George Mango has more.
6: The discussions, as usual, are facilitated by former presidents of South Africa, Tabombeki, Festus Mohai of Botswana, and Joachim Chisan of Mozambique. It is tough going for Malawi and Tanzania regarding ownership of the lake. Mediation talks between the two flopped two months ago. The reason being that Tanzania officials called off a meeting with Malawi. The meeting was scheduled to take place on May 8 and 9 in South Africa. Minister of Foreign Affairs and International Corporation Francis Kasaira admitted that Tanzanian officials failed to make it to the meeting. Malawians feel this has some political and business connotations as they suggest various issues. Political leaders, including myself,
7: were invited following recent press reports that Tanzania has uh, redefined its borders and has come up with a new map which claims half of the lake following the median line, as is normally the case in customary international law, that in itself casts um, a totally different dimension on the dialogue process. That development uh, throws into question the whole Process of dialogue. It's right and proper and it's it's also um, within the rights of Malawi, the Malawi government, to take an issue like this one to the ICJ,
6: International Court of Justice. The Tanzanian delegation had confirmed participation but later sent a letter to the high level delegation team of the mediation talks that they will not make it to South Africa for the talks last minute. Malawi authorities said they want to resolve the issue as soon as possible. Since the issue has been there for a long time and Malawians need to know what is going on regarding the talks and the lake. President Peter Mutarika said the lake belongs to Malawi. He also said this at the opening of the 14th Ordinary Session of the Pan-African Parliament in South Africa. Regarding today's discussions, much has not been made public. George Mohango, Buranda.
2: South Africa's Communist Party General Secretary Bladen Zemande has warned that the ANC w- could be facing an election defeat in the 2019 national election if strong action isn't taken against corruption and state capture. Zemande ha- was speaking at the start of the week-long SACP Congress currently underway in Boxburg on Gauteng's East Rand. The SACP leadership announced that it had banned President Jacob Zuma from addressing the Congress. Instead, Deputy President Silver Ramaphosa will address them today. Tsepo Ganeng, filed this report.
8: The dire state of the country's economy and alleged influence of the controversial Gupta family in state institutions are major issues being discussed at the SACP's 14th National Congress. The Congress resumed its second day with strong calls for an immediate end to state looting and corruption. The Communist Party's national chairperson, Sen Zokwana, fired the first salvo as he lashed out at the ANC-led government.
7: We met at a time, comrades, when the president of the ANC has been advised to step down so that the ANC can be able to manage its problems without being tarnished by what has been described as the ANC that is corrupt. I believe that our main enemy of the NDR is corruption, is factions, is leadership who don't listen to structures.
8: Zogwana also launched a scathing attack on the Gupta family, accusing it of unethical conduct.
7: We can never be dragged to a situation where the ANC loses its standing with the people because of one family. If they are business people, they should behave like all business people. In 2012, they started in NUM, equipped trying to change its leadership, putting money in so that those who will be their own people comes in. They should conduct themselves, comrades, like any other business person. They must stop dragging the ANC into mud and leave the ANC alone.
8: Meanwhile, Houting ANC Deputy Chairperson David Makura, want of declining confidence in the tripartite alliance.
7: We are losing moral authority as a result of being tolerant of crooks in our ranks. And if we don't tackle this, the people will be unforgiving. For instance, against state capture and corruption, the South African Communist Party must be prepared to endure insults, intimidation, as well as all kinds of threats. Because those who want corruption to thrive and state capture to thrive are going to fight back and they will fight back hard.
8: Then it was SACP's General Secretary Mande, who took it to the podium. He used his speech to express regret at the role his party and himself played during the Bruising Pre-Pulukwani National Conference in 2007. The conference led to the recall of former President Thabo Mbeki as head of state in 2008 and triggered the formation of the Breakaway Party the Congress of the People. Zimande says they feel betrayed by their support for President Jacob Zuma's faction at that time.
9: And we want to say this as the South African Communist Party, including speaking for myself personally. We feel a betrayal in terms of the understanding we had in Puluguan. That has been betrayed. Our trust has been broken. And we must learn a lesson as the SACP. Unless we root ourselves amongst the people, we can't just freely give trust, which when broken, things go haywire. Personally, in, general, in Zimande, that's how I feel.
8: Nzimande maintains that the collapse of key state institutions and the alleged capture of the state-owned enterprises are negatively
9: affecting the ANC's electoral support base. Much, but not all, of this popular decline is related to the almost daily revelation of, I must say, embarrassing scandals involving highly placed ANC politicians in government and particularly those who have been entangled with the notorious Gupta Empire, including the president's own family, unfortunately. The
8: SACP leader believes that the proceeds of alleged state capture have been used to fuel factions
9: within the ANC-led alliance. What also state capture is doing is corrupting our organizations. Money-based factionalism because there is mutual dependence between these parasites and factions in our movement who want to capture our organizations Deliver them to these parasites so that they accumulate and bring back money to drive factionalism inside our institutions.
8: Amongst those who attended the SACP National Congress were former President Kali Mamotlante, former Deputy Finance Minister Mkwebisi Jonas, and ANC stalwart Sidney Mafumadi and Mavusom Simang. Tsepoikaning in Boxback on the Israelite.
2: Several South African political parties are calling for public protector Busesu Mkrabani's head. They also want her to be held personally liable for the legal costs of a review application to challenge her remedial action involving the Reserve Bank and Parliament. This follows her announcement that she would not oppose the application by the Reserve Bank and Parliament to set aside her remedial action. It instructed Parliament to amend the constitution in order to change the Reserve Bank's mandate. The EFF, UDM, ACDP and DA have accused Mkwebane of a gross incompetence, saying she is not fit to hold office. Abongwe reports.
10: The report was Mkwebana's first major findings, but it has resulted in her being severely criticized for overstepping her boundaries. This after Mkwebana ordered parliament to amend the constitution in order to change the mandate of the Reserve Bank. This is contained in her remedial action in the matter involving ABSA. EFF MP and national spokesperson Mbuisen Inlozi says Mkwebana would not have changed her decision that the constitution must be amended had her remedial action not taken on judicial review. At
11: the core, it's not so much about the cause. It's that uh, she has demonstrated that she's not fit to hold office. She's not different to Balagam, Mbete, Jacob, Zuma, Pemeza, uh, who in their ways of doing things always violate the Constitution until somebody takes them to court. So had nobody taken her to court, she would have marshaled the entire country into a wrong and dangerous direction of violating the Constitution. She must do the honorable thing and step down. What she misunderstood is too basic, basic knowledge.
10: Mkwebana has already considered that her office will pay the legal cost of the review application. But the UDM says this is not enough. The party wants Mkwebana to be held personal liable for the legal cost. Zungwangwa is the UDM chief whip. Uh, the,
11: the, 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 the legal costs as a mistake are very costly for the taxpayer, especially at the time when the economy is battling from a technical recession. If people make such mistakes because of their incompetence and incapacity, they must pay the legal costs out of their own pockets. It must. We must make that very clear. Otherwise... Uh, we need someone else who is competent who understands the nature and the, uh, the importance of that office to discharge its mandate.
10: Mkwebana also ruled in her report that special investigating unity should recover the $1 billion bailout by the Reserve Bank to ABSA Bank. DA spokesperson on justice and constitutional development, Glennis Breitenbach, supported the views of other parties for the public protector to vacate her office. She says the latest by Mkwebana vindicates the DA's position that she was not the right candidate for the job.
12: Uh, and now she says, oh, she made a mistake and she wanted to pause the review application and she'll pay the cost. But it's the taxpayer's money that she's offering to change the cost. So it's very really easy to litigate with other people's money. She must pay it herself.
10: The ACDP has warned to ask Parliament to institute a formal inquiry into her fitness to hold office, if she continues to make such mistakes.
11: Well, I think she needs to. We, we as parliament, need to be very mindful of the decisions that she is taking, considering the far-reaching consequences of her remedial action. And should it become necessary, then obviously Parliament may have to institute an inquiry as to her fitness to hold office, because remember, at the end of the day, we as Parliament did appoint her to this position.
10: But the Office of the Public Protector has rejected calls from Kwebane to go. Spokesperson for the Public Protector is Cleo Musana.
13: The Public Protector has uh, discharged a constitutional mandate appropriately, and the issue that we are dealing with here, is the issue which was informed by the consideration in terms of the law and as to the outcome, as to how it's going to be, that is vested upon the court to make the interpretation. There's nothing wrong that the public protector has done him and there's no reason that anybody should be calling for her intervention.
2: That was the spokesperson for the South African public protector, Cleo Musana, ending that report by Abungwe Kobokana in Cape Town. Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African
3: Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world.
4: Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
3: Reporting
8: for Channel Africa, I am Diana
3: Wanyonye in Mombasa.
4: For Channel Africa,
8: I am Kumbera Munjore in Johannesburg. Channel Africa Kinshasa,
0: Jean-Noël Bamweze.
10: Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African
3: perspective.
2: Let's go back in time to today in 1998. South Africa's President Nelson Mandela concludes his four-day visit to England by accompanying Queen Elizabeth II on a coach drive through the streets of London. That's today in history in the year 1998. It's 7.20 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Now, U.S. pop singer Madonna has opened a children's hospital wing in Malawi yesterday. It was funded by her charity Raising Malawi. The Mercy James Institute for Pediatric Surgery and Intensive Care, located at the Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital in the city of Blantyre, is the first of its kind in Malawi. For more on this, we are now joined on the line from Malawi's commercial capital, Blantyre by our correspondent, George Mango. Good morning, George, and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. A
14: very good morning to you too.
2: Now, tell us more about the Mercy James Centre. What did Madonna say um, since her bid was first rejected to adopt the four children, one of them being Mercy James?
14: Uh, the Mercy James Foundation is named after the uh second adopted child, Mercy James. And uh, initially what uh, this uh, pediatric surgery or what will be doing is to provide the much needed support to children. As you know that uh, Malawi definitely in terms of our uh, health care for children uh, to some extent is uh, facing some hurdles. Why? Because a number of times, you know, even those people that go for maternity services have some challenges. Provision of medical drugs is a challenge. And even surgery services, uh, these kind of things are a challenge. But one uh, clear factor that uh, Madonna did highlight was the fact that uh, despite the fact that uh, Malawians did uh, reject her bid to adopt or to be adopting Malawian children, uh, the uh, foundation itself or the center itself who serve as a testimony that uh, she is a caring mother, she is a caring person, and she is also passionate about, you know, trying to assist uh, African children, including those that are, of course, uh, Malawian-based, from other neighboring countries like um, Mozambique, because it is going to help Uh, Malawian children, first class, and then other countries like Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Zambia, and uh, Tanzania, those people that are definitely not coming here to ply their uh, businesses with their children. So that was one of the major issues that she did highlight, but she also indicated the fact that uh, she is going to continue assisting children in Malawi uh, because currently she has four children that were adopted from Malawi.
2: Now, George, how unique is the centre to the children? You mentioned the fact that children have had a lack of services when it came to um, their medical issues. How unique is the centre?
14: The centre is very unique, such that uh, a number of uh, surgical services will be happening there. Even when uh, mothers do uh, uh, antenatal services, they will first of all go to the uh, centre itself, be assisted by uh, world trained uh, med- nurses and midwives, and if you know a number of uh, uh, international or uh, experts have been recruited to be at the hospital so that they attend and give first class you know healthcare assistance to children. And one other issue that I have to highlight here is the fact that uh, Malawi definitely, if it comes to the uh, gone, um, millennium develop- development goals, now we're talking about SDGs, uh, did face some hurdles, and Malawi did not even do well if it comes to provision of health care. And one of the critical issues that Malawi did not do well was in terms of uh, providing care to uh, children or those inborn children and to, you know, maternal mothers. So this is how unique this hospital is trying to leverage the, the the field in terms of healthcare provision.
2: And what was her what was the reaction of her to, uh, four adopted children?
14: For Mercy James, who was given the platform to speak, she was just over the moon. She did salute all the donors. She did salute. Uh, the, the, the Malawian doctors, the nurses, even a President Peter Mutarika for the support given to uh, Madonna so that uh, the Messy James uh, Center is opened. And, uh, of course, she did went on to say that uh, she is very grateful to Madonna, whom she called her mother, but uh, she decided to name the center itself uh, in her name. And she did also uh, highlight the fact that uh, children should also really be full throat whenever they feel like they are not okay, they have to tell their so that they are rushed to the hospital or to the centre for medical care. Suffice to say that uh, David James, who was also at, in attendance at the at the event itself, did perform some you know some musical you know entertainment activities. So of course uh, the, the only phrase that we did hear that uh, thank you President Mufarika that was it from uh, uh, David James. But good reactions from the kids that were adopted.
2: And what was the reaction from the Malawi government and from Madonna herself when the the hospital was open?
14: Uh, for Madonna, she was saying that the government has to make sure that uh, the centre is well taken care of and that uh, uh, the workforce should have the passion to save the children and should have the passion to save uh, the lives of the very and vulnerable mothers that will go there for uh, uh, antenatal uh, services. I uh, suffice to say that uh, uh, the Minister of Health did salute the fact that uh, Queen Elizabeth Central Hospital where this Mrs. James Foundation is located is one of the cleanest hospitals in the country. Uh, she, he also mentioned Balaka, he also mentioned Chitipa, he also mentioned the uh, Ethel uh, uh, Cancer Foundation in the capital city, Lilongwe. Something that did pro- uh, prompt some uh, uh, you know, uh, ma- ma- major relations and uh, you know had clapping even from uh, president peter mutarika who did you know open the center with a, a call on the health care providers and workforce to ensure that they give the utmost care to children knowing that they are the future uh, citizens of the country
2: george thank you so much for joining us we'll have to leave it there for now thank you very much that was our correspondent in malawi george mango joining us on the line from the commercial capital Blantyre.
9: The world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all.
3: From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a
9: Mandela Day. It is in your hands to make a difference
2: there have been mixed views on whether or not members of parliament in South Africa should vote secretly or openly on a motion of no confidence. UDM leader Bantu Olomisa and outspoken ruling ANC MP Mako Kosa want the vote to be done secretly to protect MPs who fear victimization, while political analyst Professor Stephen Friedman says the vote must be done openly. Lula Mamatia reports. The three
13: were taking part in a panel discussion on whether or not Secret ballot should be used in the upcoming motion of no confidence in President Jacob Zuma. The public debate organized by the Social Justice Coalition has been prompted by the upcoming motion of no confidence against President Zuma. The motion is scheduled for the 8th of next month. There have been seven motions of no confidence in President Zuma and all were conducted openly. But this time, some of the opposition parties want a secret vote. The Constitutional Court last month ruled that National Assembly Speaker Malegambete has the power to decide whether or not to conduct the vote secretly. ANC MP Makosikoza has been vocal in a call for the vote to be conducted secretly. She says this is to protect those who are being intimidated the intimidation
9: is real proof now being Posa, who has received that threats even today by the way now today they didn't send that threats to me they are sending it to my daughter oh. to my daughter and the one
13: should i die in silence and as that one russian colonel said it was the udm who took the matter to the constitutional court and was supported by other opposition parties. Party leader Bandu Olomisa says there are various issues why they want the vote to be secret. He says if they lose the vote, they must work towards 2019.
14: Come 2019, this party must never ever be in the head of one political party. If we want to, to, to promote checks and balances, let us go the route of punishment at national level. That would scale this kind of corruption
5: immediately.
13: Political analyst Stephen Friedman differs with the two. He argued strongly that public representatives must express their views openly to promote transparency. He says they must exercise their conscience openly. If you... public
12: representative. You have to accept that your job is to look after the interests of people in the country And if that gives us you your job, then that is something which is part of the process and it may be available that you do
13: operate in secret as an The ANC has made it clear that it will not vote with the opposition to remove its own president. Dr. Koza has said that she will be voting for the constitution. The Speaker is yet to decide whether or not the vote will be held in secret. She has given parties represented in Parliament until this Friday to make their submissions before she can announce her decision. Lula Mamaya in Cape
2: Town. It's 7.30 and our headlines up next with Amanda Machaka.
3: Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. In the headlines, there are mixed views on whether or not members of parliament in South Africa should vote secretly or openly on a motion of no confidence against President Jacob Zuma. Zimbabwe's former finance minister, Nkosana Moyo, says agreeing to a coalition government before elections is depriving voters the right to express their will. And Donald Trump Jr. says his meeting with the Russian lawyer ahead of U.S. elections last year was just nothing. Details on these and other stories at 8.
2: Thank you, Amanda. Cancer patients from Western Kenya and surrounding areas will now have access to treatment and care locally following the launch of a comprehensive center at the Eldoret Hospital. Set up in partnership with the company Acura Health Kenya, the center is expected to serve about 60 patients a day. More than two million U.S. dollars was used to set up the facility and train medical experts. To find out more on this, Elizabeth Lidija spoke to Dr. Erhard Korf, the chief executive officer of the Acura Health Kenya.
11: Setting up a cancer center like this takes a bit of time. We started back in 2015 engaging with stakeholders here in Kenya to look at potential sites for a private oncology center. We also got in touch with oncologists from Eldoret in Kenya that were actually very specializing at the University of Stellenbosch, the Tiger Bird Medical School, and colleague here in Kenya then expressed the wish to actually be involved in a private center in the western side of Kenya. So we as a company have been looking at Kenya at that stage and we have realized that Eldoret is a quite an attractive location for oncology center compared to Mombasa and Nairobi because Nairobi already are served quite well through other public sector and private sector units. Mombasa, although it's likely bigger city than Eldoret, doesn't have the medical infrastructure that Alderet on the western side of Kenya has. Alderet has the second largest referral hospital. They're actually serving a population of about 20 million people.
13: What sets this cancer center apart from other facilities that we've seen on the continent?
11: The one big thing is that we rely heavily on the expertise of over 20 years that we build up in South Africa running oncology centers and radiotherapy centers there. On the continent there are numerous chemotherapy facilities. You must be careful when people say they have an oncology center they often refer to chemotherapy but there's a huge need for radiotherapy facilities which is another modality with which you treat cancer and in Kenya specifically there's nothing else here in terms of radiotherapy except in the capital city of Nairobi. The difference is that we are bringing radiotherapy facilities to the population outside of Nairobi. Patients do not have to travel into that city now to get their radiotherapy services. If you look at any of the countries here in East Africa, there are very few, if any, private radiotherapy facilities. And the state facilities many times are still using older technologies. For example, cobalt treatment machines, which cannot deliver as accurate a treatment as linear accelerators. And if they do have linear accelerators, it's all the models which cannot treat with the latest techniques which we brought to Kenya here makes it possible for oncologists to give a more accurate dose of radiation therapy to the tumor area while sparing then the healthy tissues around the tumor.
13: Now we know that cancer treatment doesn't come cheap and most cancer patients cannot afford it. How affordable will your services be?
11: Cancer treatment unfortunately is expensive. On the chemotherapy side, Chemotherapy drugs are sold at quite high prices by the manufacturers. We, like any other business, we need to purchase it from these manufacturers and then use them for treatments. So there is a small market to cover the cost of the facility and the personnel and the expertise that goes into this. But we try to keep our costs very comparable to what is available in Kenya and what can be afforded by the population here. So the costs here are definitely not at the same level as what one would charge in South Africa, for example, because there are less insurance companies or so less insurance. Kenya has a, quite an extensive national health insurance fund, which covers oncology as well. But they have strict guidelines in terms of chemotherapy as well as radiotherapy costs that they can cover. So a part of the treatment is covered by the National Health Insurance Cover that most members of the population has, And then patients are very willing to make co-payments because you must remember that for them it's a huge benefit not to have to travel away from their homes where they work or where their loved ones are to get these treatments.
13: The facility, I understand, will also serve patients from Uganda and some parts of Rwanda. Tell us a bit about that.
11: Yeah, this center here is just about over 100 kilometers from the Ugandan border. Uganda specifically has no working radiotherapy machine at this point in time. The one they did have broke down early last year. Currently, the Uganda government is subsidizing treatments in Nairobi, and there's no reason why... Patients need to travel another six hours by road to Nairobi if they can be assisted just across the border here in Algeret. So it's open for other countries as well. It's open for other oncologists to treat here. There are various ways in which we can assist doctors from other countries to actually be involved in the treatment. And countries like Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, all around here can benefit from this additional capacity that's now available in Kenya.
13: Just before I let you go, how do you expect the centre to transform the way cancer is treated in the region?
11: I think the important philosophy of our organisation is that we believe in outcomes-based remuneration and treatment. So our remuneration models, what we would like to see develop here in Kenya, will move away from the typical fee-for-service that you find, many places in the world still. And what we say is that with our partners like Simu Health and ICON, we can bring those models also here to the Kenyan market and offer treatment then at fixed bundled rates for, let's say, a certain stage of breast cancer will have a fixed cost and it will be for us to manage and discuss and arrange with the clinicians about what is the best treatment to give a patient within that amount of funds that's available. And also based on the treatment intent, it doesn't make sense to spend the same kind of money for just palliative care where the patients have a limited outlook on life versus where you have patients that have been diagnosed very early in their disease stage and there's still very much a chance that the patient can be cured from cancer. where the treatment is curative, you want to have more funds available to invest on those kind of treatments. than so spending a lot of money on second, third, fourth line chemotherapy on palliative treatment. Also managing
1: the way that...
2: That was Dr. Erhard Korf, CEO of the Aquira Health Kenya, speaking to Channel Africa's Elizabeth Lidija.
8: This is Channel Africa, South Africa's international radio station on shortwave internet and satellite. Listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese
1: and Chinyanja. (muches) Quand <muches> <muches> a Farafina.
2: Farafina, terre
13: de soleil. <muches>
4: Está na companhia do serviço em língua portuguesa do canal África a voz da Renascença Africana que transmite a partir dos seus estudos centrais de Oakland Park, cidade de Jonesburg, África do Sul.
8: informing the world about Africa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective.
2: Zimbabwe's Tourism Minister Waltam Zembi says Zimbabwe's tourism sector has the potential to transform the country's economy if supported by the fiscus. This came out at the launch of a book on economic development in Africa, focusing on tourism. Tourism is rated as the third largest global export earner after fuel and chemicals. However, Zimbabwe is still lagging behind in terms of harnessing opportunities in the tourism sector. Simon Muchema reports from Harare.
4: The continental gross domestic product forecast is expected to grow from 73 billion u.s dollars in 2015 to 121 billion u.s dollars in 2026 and in zimbabwe the sector could bounce to 5 billion u.s dollars from the current 1 billion u.s dollar according to the united nations world tourism organization unto the number of international tourists arrival to the continent forecast is poised to grow from 57 million in 2014 to 134 million in 2030. This is the economic sector governments on the continent are aged to fund and help foster economic growth. While least most African countries are focusing on enhancing tourism growth, in Zimbabwe, the national budget is usually less than 1% per annum, leaving the sector to grow on its own. Could this be sheer luck or hard work? considering Zimbabwe's budgets less than one million U.S. dollars, but make nearly a billion out of it. Speaking in Harare recently, Zimbabwean Tourism Minister Walter Mzambi urged non-political interference in the sector and prioritized for economic growth.
1: The one billion economy that it is today, it is out of Minister Mzambi and his team's creativity. No investment into it at all. Just try and imagine if we're just giving it 1% support, of fiscal budget. What it means is we we'll would be getting 4.4 million if I'm using your current budget the statement at 4 billion. We should be getting 4.4 million. With 4.4 million, I can guarantee you if I get it on a sustained basis over the next three, four years to 2020, I will transform Zimbabwe's tourism economy from the 1 billion economy it is to 5 billion. I will do it. I've given you a billion, rising from two, less than two, 200 million in 2009, exponentially going okay, in leaps and bounds to what it is today, with absolutely
4: nothing except creativity and the power of branding. Minister Mzambi said Africa is inflicting self-injury to its own economy. Tourism,
1: low-hanging fruit, resilience, even when the world was gliding through global recession, The only sector that remained standing and supported Europe's comeback was tourism. Now, how do we miss it in our budget assumptions? How we inflict uh, self-injury to ourselves in economic planning? How do we miss such an important pillar to the extent where we don't see it in fiscal appropriations? You come to Parliament every time we do the blue book, the budget, and for as long as I've been Minister... Uh, tourism has been commanding the bottom of the ladder in terms of fiscal appropriation, less than one percent of the budget. In fact, we get point decimalized point zero zero something percent share of the budget.
4: On one hand, Africa's Capacity Building Foundation ACBF Director Dr. Thomas Mtali warned Africa could miss the SDGs linked to tourism.
5: Currently, uh, we are around 8% of GDP, which means come 2063, we have to be getting to something like 16% to double that. But the rate at which we are going, it doesn't seem like we are getting close. which means that for that target to be achieved... There's need to, you know, amplify policies that can support the sector. Otherwise, that target is mm. off. Or we can forget about it. While
4: East Africa is battling with high unemployment, tourism can transform and create jobs, Dr. Mthali say.
5: In most African countries, tourism is creating over 21 million jobs. And what is interesting here is that most of, I mean, close 50% of this in the hotel and restaurant sector is occupied by women. So you find that unlike in the other sectors like manufacturing, where women form about 20% or less in, in a number of countries, in tourism, women are forming close to 50% of the jobs that are being created. So it's inclusive, uh, in a sense. Um, and you, wish, you will see later on that even the youth, uh, close to 50% of those that are confined below, are also getting employed in the tourism uh, sector.
4: In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa.
2: Our economics update up next with Tavisa Thanks,
15: Balungile. The International Monetary Fund says Zimbabwe is yet to reach a deal with the World Bank and other foreign lenders over clearing areas and implementing reforms, warning that reliance on raising money domestically could further fan inflation. President Robert Mugabe's government has not received a foreign funding since it started defaulting on its external debt in 1999 and is relying on domestic borrowing and taxes to fund its national budget. The IMF has said in a statement on Friday after a meeting of its executive board this week that although Harare cleared its areas with the fund last year, talks with the World Bank and other multilateral lenders have faced delays. The controversial Indian born South African business group to families Oak Bay resources have been given to the official nod to delist from the johannesburg stock exchange after failing to secure a sponsor its last day of trading will be on july the 18th south africa's top four banks and auditors kpmg cut ties with the firm last year and the guptas have been embroiled in allegations of corruption linked to state tenders oak bay says it approached several jse accredited sponsors but nobody was interested South Africa's manufacturing sector has recorded a smaller-than-expected decline of just under 1% year-on-year in May from 4.2% in April. Most economists forecast the sector would fall by 4.5% in May. The decline was driven largely by petroleum and chemical products, at Sepulmawai reports. Six out of ten divisions in manufacturing showed increases. But the sector still remain in a recessionary environment. The last time manufacturing output experienced positive growth this year was in April. State SA's Nikolai Klassen says this is bad news for jobs and economic growth. Nigeria's debt office plans to use 483.4 million US dollars to service its foreign debt over a 10 year period and make repayments starting from next year as its dollar debts begin to mature. Debt management office projects debt service repayments to amount a total of 4.47 billion US dollars to be made in 2018, 21, and 23. Nigeria issued a debut eurobond in 2011 with a follow up tranche. In 2013, Zambia has recorded an economic growth of 3% in the first quarter of 2017 with the agriculture, forestry and fishing sectors contributing the highest percentage of 1.7. The manufacturing and energy sectors were second with each contributing 0.3% to the country's economic growth. This is according to the monthly bulletin released by Central Statistical Office at the ongoing 53rd Zambia International Trade Fair. The U.S. dollar trades at 13.52 in South Africa, it's at 10.28 in Botswana and at nine five eight nine five in Zambia. It's also trading at 0.77 to the British pound and at 0.87 to the euro, gold $1,000, dollars platinum $893 an ounce, brand crude $47, 1.8 cents a barrel. Untabisu Lohoko
9: Set by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all.
3: From July 18, raise your hand and make a dedicated effort to keep helping others in any way you can. Make every day a
9: Mandela Day.
2: It is in your hands
9: to make a difference.
2: A sports update up next with Figuilu Lingwati.
0: First up in our sports update this hour, we begin with athletics. World Athletics governing body IWAF President Lord Sebastian Co has expressed confidence that Kenya will host a successful World Under-18 Championships as the event gets underway today at Kasarani. Kuo termed the championship as historic and a big moment for the country. Co says Kenya has produced world beaters in the last 40 to 50 years and have left an indelible mark in the sport in athletics and as the IWAF family they are looking forward to a competitive five-day championship.
16: It would be wrong to base popularity of the, of the sport on trials events because trials are not really our bread and butter uh, competitions. If you look at Diamond League, if you look at the championships we've had so far, if you look at the ticket sales for the World Championships in London, which are extraordinary—sixty thousand tickets went on the market uh, and all went within. Three or four hours just a few weeks ago, and we have delegates from uh, from the from the IWF that are helping us in London. Uh, I was in Diamond League in London just the other day. We had thirty-five, nearly forty thousand people in the stadium. So, no, athletics is is, is still very strong.
0: Co explained the decision to discontinue the under eighteen championship.
16: What we want to do is to make sure that we have regional competitions that for many federations are more meaningful for their athletes uh, than a World Championship. We also think that age-appropriate competition is is important, but also uh, ability-appropriate as well. So we're not saying that youth athletics doesn't matter to us, actually we're saying quite the opposite. We're saying it matters so much that we want to get it right. And for many federations it's extremely expensive to send teams across the world to to major championships when that money could be spent on developing their own programs and their own regional programs. So we are now discussing through our continental associations, including, of course, Africa. But we need to make sure that what we do, what we need to do to support those structures um, it is, is what we would have been spending on our major championships and we think that we will get better value for money for athletes out of those programs.
0: In cricket news, former captain Ravi Shatri has been named the new head coach of India for a two-year period ending weeks of speculation over the high-profile job after Anil Kumble's dramatic exit. The Board of Control for Cricket in India also appointed ex-paceman Zahir Khan as the bowling consultant and Rahul Dravid as betting consultant for tests in overseas tours. An advisory panel comprising Sachin Tendulga, Suarav Ganguli and VVS Laxman conducted the interviews and recommended these appointments in the best interest of the Indian cricket. The 55-year-old edged out a host of rival high-profile names in betting great Virenda Siwag, Australia's Tom Moody, Englishman Richard Pibers, and former India manager Lechland Rajput, who were interviewed in Mumbai on Monday. In tennis news, Spain's 2015 runner-up Gabini Muguruza advanced confidently into the Wimbledon semi-finals with a calmly efficient and well-controlled 6-3, 6-4 victory over Russian seventh seed Svetlana Kuznetsova. Moguruda, who reached the final at SW19 in 2015, won in one hour and 15 minutes on court one, believes she has a different play than in 2015.
13: It seems far away for me. It's not that far, but I think I'm a completely different uh, You know, player. I've learned a lot of things. I know how to play more calm now, especially these tough matches. So I think it's a big change. And uh, to be back, hopefully, Going to into the finals you know, makes me so happy. The players that are now here are because they're playing well and they deserve it. So it doesn't matter which ranking or who they are because they're playing great.
0: Venus Williams handed out another lesson to one of Wimbledon's young upstarts when she beat Jelena Ostapengo 6'375 to become the oldest women's semi-finalist for 23 years. The five-time champion who turned 37 last month tamed the big-hitting Latvian with a rock-solid performance under the centre-court roof, winning with something to spare. Age continues to prove no barrier for 37-year-old Venus She was competing in a first Wimbledon in the same month that Ostapenko was born and is well versed in dealing with the hastiness of youth.
17: I don't think about it. I feel quite um, capable, to be honest, and powerful. So whatever age that is, as long as I feel like that, then I know that I can contend for her titles every time.
0: Son, in hectic final... That's in cycling. Team dimension data for Kobe as Edvard Boisson Hagen managed to take home another top 10 result on stage 10 of the Tour de France. Following the script from the previous days, the early break got away right from the beginning of the stage. That's your spot News this hour. Africa rise and shine. Africa, Thor.
1: Africa, Amuka na unai.
2: With the uh, sad news that's just come in, Stimula frontman Ray Peary has passed on and this is just a tribute song to him. One of his great hits, Where Did We Go Wrong?
17: Tell me.
0: Rise and shine.